Welcome back to FilmNerds.com. I'm your host, Matt Scalisi, uh, and with us for the fifth part of our Guide to Zombies series is University of Alabama faculty member Sean Hode. Welcome back, Sean. Thank you. Good to be back. Well, one of the scariest uh, aspects of zombies, just just one of the things that inherently makes them terrifying, um, is that they come in the form of of a human, you know, it's it's a it's an image, it's a form that we're sort of uh, evolved to to trust naturally, and and you know, in the case of zombies, that that all gets turned around on us, and this is an idea um, that was explored uh, long before really zombie fiction came to prominence. It's it's an idea uh, that Sigmund Freud is actually credited with with exploring. Uh, called the uncanny and Sean, can you can you talk to us a little bit about this this idea and sort of break it down into layman's terms for us? Yeah, um, Freud came up with the idea of and explored the idea of the canny and the uncanny. What he called uh, you don't need to know this, but you know a Heimlich and the unheimlich, which means kind of like what it directly translates into is something that feels like home and something that doesn't feel like home. Okay, that, and then we in English, you know, in English, we call that canny and uncanny. Uh, if you go, you go home and your mom's baking cookies. Um, you know, when you're eight years old, and you smell the cookies, and you see your mom, and yay, that's great, right? That's that's homey. That's that's canny. If you come home, and what's happened is your uh, the your mother was baking cookies, but in fact she got bitten by a zombie, and now there's this woman that looks like your mother. Her moans sound like your mother's, you know, moans voice would sound like. Um, and the baking cookies have been dropped on the floor. And everything is the same, but it's different. That's the uncanny. When in, when in your dream you're, you're at the mall, but it's not the mall, that's um, something, that, that's an experience of the uncanny. Where something is, is, seems, looks familiar, and yet it's not the same. And that is one of the most um, horrifying um, experiences that a person can have in the everyday, in the everyday, in your everyday experience. For instance, um, something that really scares the hell out of a lot of people is something that's completely benign: is a ventriloquist dummy. When you have a ventriloquist dummy. Um, you know, he's he's usually like the 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 ventriloquist is the is the straight man. The dummy tells the jokes, right? Well, somehow the dummy looks and acts like a person. Doesn't look exactly like a person, but you know, a character of a person, and yet is obviously not a person. And they say that a lot of times, you know, they'll have a ventriloquist at like a children's party, and the kids will scream and and just be incredibly incredibly afraid of this of this kind of human thing that's there and that's because of the uh, that's because of the uncanny nature of it it's scary um there was a seinfeld where jerry spends the night in kramer's apartment and he and he swears that he can hear kramer's dummy mr marbles <laughs> moving around the apartment and 
And it's funny because I think many of us remember a, a fear of, you know, a fear of, of like clowns or, or, or things that are made to look human but aren't really strictly human. Right, and that's been done in movies a good bit too, um, with ventriloquist dummies and with uh, with dolls and other things like that. Um, right. And there's there, there's one just in in researching this, trying to trying to keep up with uh, with my guest here on a <laughs> on an intellectual level, which is is a tough task. But there's a there's a there's a concept that I that came upon um, from a. I guess he's a, actually a roboticist. His name is uh, Masahiro Mori. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and he he's he's got this kind of chart that he that that he uh, that he's drawn, um, where a, as we move down one axis, it, it it goes from sort of an industrial robot uh, all the way to a healthy normal human being, um, and then sort of on the other axis is how comfortable we are as as people with with those 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 various things along the way you know we have a, a robot that's sort of shaped like a human a stuffed animal uh, and then there's there's this big dip right before you get to uh, a normal healthy real human being uh, it looks it, almost like it right it's almost there right so so we get more and more comfortable but suddenly right as we approach human being it completely drops off the map and and notably the the graphic that uh, that Maury himself, he, he put, he noted a few things on this chart, but the thing that he puts at the very bottom uh, of this uncanny valley, as he calls it, is the word zombie. So that yeah. that is the that is what he notes as you know the thing that is sort of most like a person yet scares the bejesus out of us for some reason. <laughs> right, right. It's the most uncanny thing that you can have is a zombie because even more than a corpse, which is slightly. It's it's close, but it's slightly higher on the familiarity scale. You know of the of, you know the uh, the you're slightly less fearful of a corpse than a zombie. You know, um, uh, even a, even a corpse doesn't bring this kind of this kind of fright that that a zombie would. And that makes sense, right? Because a zombie is more like a real person because it moves. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Maury's onto something there. They talk about they, they're trying to make humanoid-looking robots, and <laughs> it's funny because the closer they get, if it's really cute and doesn't really look like a human, you know, if it, it, then they're being you know, like C three PO. People, oh, people love C three PO. He's so right. cute, funny, right? But then if you have something that looks like ninety nine percent human in a, in a humanoid-type robot, it produces these feelings of fear and disgust. Until you get to that hundred percent, and that's the problem that they've really had. It's like something's not right with that person, right? You know, it, it's uh, you know, they 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 get these sort of more and more realistic. Particularly, we see these sort of Japanese robots. They they get more and more uh, human like, and uh, you know, all you you could show these YouTube videos to to anybody, and uh, you know, the first thing people say isn't, "Wow, look how much like a human that looks like." They they all say. Oh my gosh, that's this, one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something's not right there, and 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 that's exactly what it it fits into. I mean, and they're talking about there's a there's a lot of um, if you put uh, you put nerds into any situation, and soon thoughts will turn to sex, and um, uh, okay, and there's you know it's perfectly normal, I suppose, but um, there's there's um, a book called Love and Sex with Robots. 
out, which is which examines this phenomenon. And to a nerd, this would be the perfect thing, right? Because you have someone that you can make a you can make your robot or whatever as sexy as you want it to be, and yet, uh, and you know, you can have all the do any sort of nasty things you want with it, but it's it's you don't have to talk to it. You know, right? Which which maybe maybe a nerd's you know not a film nerd, but a nerd's dream. You know, <laughs> and um, and in fact, uh, if any one of your listeners or if you've seen uh, Fido, you know that the character um, by uh, Nelson Tim Blake Nelson, he has as sort of his you know, companion, his pet, if you will, um, a, a a zombie, and she's a, it was very hot, and she died of some you know, natural illness or whatever, and was brought back. And so she basically looks like a normal person, except she's got that kind of vacant look, and, and you got a little bit of blood around the mouth, I guess, for when she she's fed and things like that. And it's so creepy, because you know that he uses this thing for sex. And and the idea of having sex with a dead body, um, necrophilia is sick enough. But then a zombie, where it's dead and and so it supposedly has some sort of experience with it. That's even even sicker and weirder because it's more uncanny. You know, um, they, there's a there's a in Fight Club. Um, I don't know if it's in the movie, but it's in the book. There's a woman who has uh, terminal cancer, and she's in the later stages of it, and her skin's kind of yellow and stuff like that. And she's and she's basically begging for somebody to come and have sex with her. But but even just reading it. You feel repulsed because she's not a healthy human. She's not quite, and I'm not. This is not anything against you know people with diseases or anything. But in the idea of the uncanny, she is a little bit off, and so provo- provokes that fear and disgust response. Right. It's not a, a yeah. We're not talking about a, a prejudice or anything. It's that it's that on that on that sort of. Freudian psychological level, yeah. we we uh, we are disturbed when something looks a little bit less than a healthy person, which is obviously what's right. the case there. <laughs> right, exactly. And and I think um, so when you have a zombie, you have the least healthy that a person <laughs> right. can be, <laughs> and still and be yeah. animate, yeah. Right? And yet they still, in the beginning at least, look like grandma, or they look like your your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or your brother or your sister or whatever, but they're not. They're not. You can, you know, that's not your mother anymore. She's not your mother anymore, as they say in uh, in uh, Night of the Living Dead. Doesn't. Yeah. Wow. Looks like her wearing the same clothes. Five minutes ago, she was my mother and saying she loves me and all this. But that's what's so uncanny because she's so close, so close. But and as people can see from that, uh, if they look in, under Wikipedia under Uncanny Valley. Um, there's a diagram, I think this is the diagram I'm talking about, where, where right before a healthy person is zombie. And it goes all the way down and then zooms all the way up. Because a healthy person is familiar and that's not, you know, they're not creepy and don't produce fear responses and things like that. And so that could be kind of a kind of a gross sort of discussion. but, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it, this, this specifically what we're talking about um, of a, more more so than just a human being, it, it gets a little more disturbing when we talk about a, a specific human being that you know suddenly being uh, uh, somehow not that specific person that you knew. And this is an idea that is, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a zombie movie where that specific idea isn't explored. Um, but I, I think there's a few that, that I want to touch on particularly, um, including 
Shaun of the Dead, which is you know uh, it's it's a it's a newer entry in the genre, but it's it really to me has done one of the better jobs I've ever seen of of taking on okay how what is it what does it put you through on a psychological level to have a loved one uh, suddenly in that uncanny valley uh, suddenly you know hitting you there um, right and and just just talk about how Shaun of the Dead deals with that. Uh, well, Shaun of the Dead, yeah, actually, I was thinking about that because his his father, uh, not his father, but his stepfather, his mother, his best friend, um, and other people that he knows, their roommate, all of them get turned into zombies in 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 the story during during the course of the movie, and he has to shoot his mother, with whom he's very close, and but it's not his mother. But he can. He has a really hard time, um, you know, uh, dealing with that and accepting that. And on a certain level, I mean, he shoots her, so he knows that she's a zombie and is not his his mother anymore. But in another sense, she was so um, dear to him and so so uh, overprotective of him, you know, calling him pickles and all this stuff, you know, and that that it's it's really difficult for the audience too, actually. Um, when he has to, when he has to to shoot her, and he doesn't, he doesn't shoot his friend, and his friend keeps enough of the, uh, you know, keeps enough of the human in him to want to play the video games and everything. But, uh, <laughs> right, which is a little bit going back to, you know, the sort of Dawn of the Dead idea that they keep going back to the mall, uh, right? Kind of a throwback to that, yeah. Yeah, and um, but it's it's especially, I mean, that's why one of the reasons why I think that. Um, Shaun of the Dead, while being extremely funny and a great comedy, is also very scary. It really goes into that into that um, uh, into that uncanny idea, and it's not just people. It's not just you know you you um, you wake up in the morning and and your your next door neighbor Vivian, little girl, is coming to the house and she's a zombie and she's going to kill you. Um, horrifying as that is, but it's also when, as we talked about in the last podcast, when Anna steps out into the neighborhood. And it is her neighborhood, but then it isn't because her neighborhood doesn't have all the buildings on fire and people getting run over in the street and people running after each other and screaming and all the stuff. It's it's the it's the same, but it's different, and that's that's the uncanny. And the closer it gets, the scare the closer it gets to normalcy, but not quite there, the scarier it is. That's one of the things about um uh, you know if you saw Blue Velvet, um it uh, David Lynch's masterpiece from '86. Um, is that, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kyle McLaughlin finds a, a human ear on his lawn, on the lawn. And they were going to do it as a finger, I remember reading. They were going to have it as a finger. But somehow an ear was so much more, uh, so much more intimate, you know? And so he sees that this white picket fence, you know, little, uh, you know, Opie and, and, you know, Huck Finn world there that he's living in, there's all this stuff going on behind it and he never saw it that way but now he sees it in a totally different way and it's and it's incredibly frightening for him right david yeah and david lynch loves loves messing with that sort of uh, with with yeah. the uncanny for sure um you know I, like i said i think i think probably every zombie movie has some instance of this but um we were talking about diary of the dead in the last podcast and uh i think they have a particularly effective scene along this line it's not it, I'll, I'll say this because uh, i hadn't seen diary of the dead until i was uh researching for this pod this podcast series but it's you know it's not the it's not the best written 
uh, zombie movie you'll ever see. I think I think you know Romero maybe struggles a little bit with writing teenager dialogue yeah. in in two thousand six or seven whenever that film was released. But um, but there is a really uh, a really particularly nasty scene that really gets me uh, where the 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 main heroine of the story uh, goes back home. She she's sort of trying to get in touch with her family. Uh, for the entire film up to this point. Um, and then sort of they, they, they get to her family's house and uh, realize that something's gone wrong, but they don't quite know what. Uh, and really it's, it's, it's pretty much the worst case scenario if you want to look at it, you know, putting yourself in, in the, the situation the characters are in. It's, it's probably the worst thing she could have seen when she comes in. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. And, it, and it's all because it, it, the uncanny, in, the, in Freud's uncanny, Everything is so close to being right, and yet it's not. You know, if I see if I see an army of uh, skeletons instead of an army of, of recently dead zombies, okay, that's you know that's scary and everything, right? But it's scary in a different way than seeing oh, there's my high school principal and there's my wife and there's my best friend and they're all coming to eat me, you know. They're all coming to kill me and everything. Then to see like just sort of these anonymous skeletons. Skeletons would be plenty scary, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but um but seeing the people that you loved and who would never hurt you and who you would never hurt, it being a you kill them or they're going to kill you situation. That's what makes it even even scarier. And um, uh, Freud um sort of made the connection between the uncanny uh in our dreams and and. The uncanny in jokes. This may seem a bit off the topic, but but um, it's all with the uncanny because our dreams seem symbolic a lot of times. And what it, what they do is what it seems that the mind does, according to Freud, is couches our real feelings about things in the uncanny in the uncanny. So it's not quite we're not thinking it quite directly. So it's able to get around the censor of the uh, of the superego. You know, and so we can think, you know, if you're having uh, um, lustful feelings towards your second cousin, right? And, and that's, you know, in, in your, it's, but you're in denial, it's buried deep, right? Well, maybe in your, in your dream, you, you, you see her and you in a space capsule or something, you know, and, and it's like, oh, alone, you know, nothing, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, disti- it's not sexual exactly at all. I mean, you know, in the dream, but the symbolism, Right, and maybe you have a launch and all this stuff, and a and a wet landing, and you know this kind of thing, right? You, I mean, it, you got a dark turn of mind, Mister Hode, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's got it's it's got your it's it it works around that, and this and this and relieves the the tension of, of of holding it back, and it's the same thing with jokes. It's like many people have have told jokes that are you know ethnic jokes or something, things that they they're really not the people themselves are not are not prejudiced or something, but the joke is is found funny, even if it's a, you know, a, an ethnic or racist or sexist joke, because everybody who is not of a certain ethnicity or, you know, if it's the other gender or whatever, everybody has certain fears or feelings about them that you just, you just don't talk about in polite society and probably don't even admit to yourself. So when you tell a joke about it, you can, you know, you can, you can have, you have this uncanny because it's not exactly what you're, you know, not exactly what you're referring to, really, this uncanny experience, and that lets the tension off. And in the same way, coming back to zombies, 
we have a distinct fear of death. Um, you know, most humans do. We, in this country at least, have a very sanitized view of death. We almost never see a corpse in its natural state. And we are naturally, we, we can't admit that we're scared of those things um, because people just don't talk about that. So in zombie movies, where you have to deal with the dead in, in this impossible way, you're using it in this uncanny sense. It's not exactly what life is like. It's close to it. So it's scary, and so it's vicariously fun, like that, you know. Um, but you're dealing with your feelings about death, your feelings about decay and mortality. And, um, and so this is using Freud's uncanny in a way that even the filmmakers probably weren't aware of exactly what they were doing, which is why God invented academics. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we could so we could dig up what George Romero didn't even know he was talking about. Right. It's the whole purpose of the Academy. Plato himself would have said that the, the end result would be figuring out horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> would be talking about cousins in space capsules and zombies eating oh, brains. No. And splashdowns. And, but, you know, um, <laughs> the... Uh, uh, a movie that I recommend that everyone who's interested in zombie movies should see because it really, really plays plays up this idea of the uncanny is, which I don't know if you saw this, Zombie Honeymoon? No, I have not seen it. T tell us about that, Sean. Okay. In Zombie Honeymoon, it's not like a zombie infestation or anything like that. This man and his, and his well, I mean, sorry, not to be sexist, husband and wife are on their honeymoon and they're on the beach, kind of laying out on the beach, and this, this person in a wetsuit uh, and like a diving mask comes out of the comes out of the water, and something's obviously wrong with him. And he staggers up and sort of, in a 28 days later sort of way, sort of vomits this black bile onto the man, and then dies. Um, and the man, you know, is like this disgusting, of course, you know. But he, you know, they don't, they, you know, he cleans himself up, and you know, everything seems fine. But he starts to get sick, and and his sickness is not only that his his, you know skin starts decaying, right, and things like that, but also that he starts getting this taste for flesh, and he's trying to deny it to himself at first, but then he ends up killing someone, and, and uh, not his wife, but, you know, ends up killing someone and, 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 you know, eating them bit by bit while they're in the, you know, he keeps them in the bathtub, and the wife finds this, and like anyone, when you get married, I mean, you don't really know the other person that well, um, I mean, you need to know somebody better all during their lives, but you never know them perfectly, but she's trying to, in the same way that, okay, all right, well, so my husband likes to you know, he likes to play golf every weekend with his friend. Okay, well, that's kind of disappointing me, but how am I going to work around it? Um, you know, that sort of thing. Well, in her case, it's, well, okay, well, my husband has a taste, is starting to rot and has a taste for human flesh. Um, how am I, how can I help my husband with this? You know, um, <laughs> I, not help him kill people necessarily like that, but how can I, how can I make him feel loved and appreciated and all this while, when really the only thing on his mind right now is, you know, being a zombie. And so it's funny in that way, but what it really is, what the whole movie is really about is about watching someone who you know become something different. And so you move from the canny, the familiar, to the uncanny and the unfamiliar as he becomes from her, her regular human husband into this zombie. Um, she, she loses him and it becomes frightening to everyone, become this completely unfamiliar, this completely unfamiliar thing that's there, and it's it's really what the metaphor they're making is like if you're in a in a relationship 
and one of the partners gets um, a terminal disease, like a racing disease of some kind. The same person, but it's not the same person. And so it, that uh, zombie honeymoon, it's it's a low budget movie, but it's extremely intelligently made. And the uh, the girl who plays the wife in that, I don't remember her name, but she is really excellent. Um, the acting, the acting on her part is really quite good. Um, but it, but that's all about that whole movie is about the Freud's uncanny, and you see it happen. It's not like you wake up one morning and Grandma's a zombie. He slowly changes into this thing that that isn't what she married and isn't what she knows. It looks familiar and speaks in a familiar way, you know. But it's not it's not her husband. It's you know it's not your mother anymore. And that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you know that that's that's one that's one interesting um, thing about zombie movies dealing with this. Typically, um, most zombie films we have you know. You're you're alive. Um, you sort of you sort of even if you've been bitten, you sort of die like a like a person would normally die just from anything. Right. Uh, and then you sort of have this sort of moment where you wake up and you're a zombie. Um, but you know it's interesting that they to have a film that sort of deals with it on a gradual level because I think that sort of accentuates, like you said, that idea of the the uncanny because you're 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 having to. Uh, you know, rather than rather than like a gunshot, it's more of a it's more of a slow pain of of uh, <laughs> experiencing that in in sort of increments. And like you said, it is it you can sort of draw that parallel to to maybe a terminal disease or uh, maybe an addiction or something like that. You know, those are right. Those are you know interesting ways that you know we don't typically when we talk about the uncanny, we are talking about that sort of uh, grotesque you know sort of horror type ideas but obviously there is uh that that same phenomenon that happens in our brain and makes us disturbed at those images is is sort of what's working when we see someone we love uh become less healthy over a, a period of time right i mean movies horror movies wouldn't be scary if they didn't remind us of real life in some way you know if if we were if there wasn't if there weren't a, a certain fear of you know, that kind of that teenage roll in the hay, right? If there weren't a sort of fear that you're doing something that's not allowed, well, then the Friday the 13th movies wouldn't exist. Right. You know? Um, and so, and zombie, zombies, if we weren't really afraid of death or afraid of losing those who are familiar and important to us, then zombie movies wouldn't be scary. It's not about, zombie movies are very rarely about you yourself getting killed or bitten. That would be bad enough. But it's the people that you see the people, the, the other people that make it so horrifying because that's what we can relate to the most. And I think that goes into the whole why the the, the, the entire reason the zombie genre is uh, is so it, it continues to grow in popularity. I mean, it continues to grow. It's amazing. Um, but people's fear of death is not fading, and our ability our ability to tap into that. I think filmmakers are becoming, if anything, more skillful. Well, Sean, uh, thanks again for uh, for joining us for another episode of this podcast series, and we'll be back again next week with another episode. Um, thanks a lot, Sean. Thanks very much. <laughs>